guys! Welcome to this very special edition of the Pod Tendo Podcast, where we analyze, reminisce, and replay the glory of old Nintendo games. We can be contacted on Twitter at Pod Tendo Podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podtendo. Uh, we're also on YouTube and Instagram. Just search Podtendo, because I don't know the URLs off the top of my head. I'm your co-host, Mick. I supposed to have a nickname, but I think I stopped doing that, maybe? And I'm joined every episode by my lovely co-host... We'll go with Monotone Tyson. Very, very nice. So I say special episode of Podtendo because we're playing a game that was released in two parts, sort of, kind of, that's like intermingled with each other. So today, we are going to release two episodes for the price of one. Isn't that exciting? Very. Essentially, I just wrote one set of notes and cut and paste them into two different documents. So to get the full experience, I highly recommend you listen to oracle of ages this podcast and seasons together as well as we're gonna have an official potendo contest so i'm gonna give you a password at the end of this if you can take the two passwords together and find out the secret code i don't know you win something it's kind of exciting very very exciting indeed i don't even have my notes open so i'm just so excited to talk and i said what this is ages i really hope this is ages so today's game legend of zelda zelda the oracle of ages the release date was may 14th 2001 on the game boy color how long to beat has this game at about 16 hours price at release was 39.99 and if we factor in inflation that would be 54 dollars and 75 cents ebay price you can find a copy of this like loose for about 18 dollars and if you have a new inboxed copy that'd be 220 dollars eShop price would be six dollars on your 3ds so that's pretty exciting yeah it's awesome like this game i kind of remember when they first came out and i feel like we only got one to start but uh yeah it was just one of those games that it, it it's another zelda game we waited like so long after kind of like uh, Link's Awakening and Link to the Past. So, it was, uh, actually, no, this came out after or uh, right, we had Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask at this yeah. point. So, well, I guess they were just milking that cash cow. Well, my nostalgia is a little okay. bit off. I wonder why. I wonder why, indeed. Yeah, the only other thing I was going to say is, oh damn it, I was supposed to say we're a retrospective review Let's Play podcast. There, I said it. Future Mick, you're welcome. You're welcome, indeed. So. Because Tyson's maybe nostalgia juices aren't flowing, let's see if we can jump into our patented Wayback Machine and let's look at what life was like back on May 14th, 2001. We'll start out by asking Tyson's favorite show. Could it be The Simpsons? Season 11, episode 21. It's a mad, 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 mad Marge. Otto dumps his girlfriend, who moves in with The Simpsons. Marge believes Becky is trying to take over her place as mother of the family. Meanwhile, Springfield Elementary gives all the kids cameras after slashing geography from the budget. Bart sets out to make a movie. Eh? Eh? This is not the greatest of episodes. Unfortunately, The Simpsons, they have a really hard time writing Marge. And uh, this is one of those episodes where even as a kid, it's kind of like, oh, it's this episode. Hmm. Should we not watch this? What else is on? Um... Well, or we could be watching, funny you ask, Digimon Series 2, Episode 50, A Million Points of Light? The Digidestin focus their hopes and dreams to destroy Milo Myotismon. Uh His good side, while on the verge of death, is turned into data 
by the use of dream power and restores Digiland to its original form. That sounds terrible. Sounds... Uh, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I I know you like Digimon, but Digimon fucking Man, sucks ass. <laughs> like, the it worst is, thing ever. It is so goddamn shitty. <laughs> it was like... It's one of those things yeah. where, like I remember like getting like watching getting it and like uh watching all of it but man it lost team so fast it was oh it was good it was like Yu-Gi-Oh it's just it's stupid it's like an American attempt at an anime and animes are done in a certain style and they're a little bit slower maybe drawn out at times but like the American bastardized version is like what if we just didn't tell a story great good job god damn it yeah it's so if you had to choose one of those episodes to watch i guess today because it's not tyson in 2001 it's tyson today which episode would you rather watch of these two what would you rather watch i'd probably have to go with the simpsons because <laughs> digimon freaking sucks <laughs> it's so terrible all right the only good part about it is those little uh handheld toys that were basically just better tamagotchis that was the only cool thing because you could battle your friends Oh, yeah, that was fun. And I feel like that maybe was the origin point of that, so... I don't know if they came out before or after, but I know the square ones were the best, and then they just basically, with every new season of the show, they just released another, like, iteration, they got more expensive, and then they had cards, and it was awful. Just frickin' awful. Hmm. Normally, our... Uh, Wayback Machines, we look at a little bit of everything. We do favorite shows, we look at top TV, top cartoons, top video games, top movies. But to get the full experience, you're going to have to listen to Oracle of Seasons as well. So today we're just going to look at top cartoons that were around in 2001. We have X-Men Evolution, Recess, Pepper Ann, The Weekenders, Doug, Dora the Explorers, Beast Machines, Transformers, Spider-Man Unlimited, Pokemon, Static Shock, and... Men in Black. Not bad. Not yeah, bad. Um, an okay lineup. I feel like it's starting to lose steam, but there's a lot of good... good. Eh, there's some good in here. I mean, Doug sucks, but um, even Dora the Explorer was educational. Um, Beast Machines was the sequel to Beast Wars, which not as good as the first one, but not terrible. Spider-Man Unlimited, not as good as the first one, but not terrible. And like, Pokemon and is still going strong, and you got Static Shock, which is highly underrated. I tried to rewatch the Men in Black series a while ago, and I think I got to like episode four or five, and I just didn't realize how high pitch Jay is in that freaking uh, in that series. It's ridiculous. Like I don't know who's doing the voicing. It might be Lorenzo, um, um, what's his name? Guys does Garfield or whatever, just doing like a high pitch thing. But it's like I don't know. It's just weird. Really. Kane? Lorenzo Kane? No, that's a baseball player. I have I no idea. Auto uh, yeah. Actors. I, uh, yeah. Not a terrible lineup, you know? Not a terrible lineup. Like, Beast Machines, they were different. It was a different story, that's for sure. It was kind of more preachy about, like, environmentalism. But, yeah, it was interesting. How about top video games that were out March 14th, 2001? And this might just be the whole 2001, because I wrote these notes a long time ago. We got Mario Party 3! Crazy Taxi, Cool Borders, Red Faction, Crazy Taxi 2, because can't get a sequel out fast enough, Spider-Man 2, The Sinister Six for the Game Boy Color. So, you know, that's, uh, th- those are the best games that came out in 2001, eh? That sucks. Yeah, man. Oof. It's kind of a barren wasteland of just sequelitis and not good things. 
not good things at all. But finally, we'll take a final stop. Again, there's some other sections. We'll have to listen to our other podcasts to get the full effect. Let's look at the top songs according to the Billboard charts. So we have the number three song, Angel by Shaggy. The number two song. So, at least I've heard of that song. Yeah, so that's pretty one exciting. For one. All right. How about Cra- Butterfly by Crazy Town? I do, yeah, this was so, a big song. This I feel like uh, I know one of the big movies that came out this year, so <laughs> without even, uh, without oh, even interesting. knowing it. So. Well, has, again, that's tricky because it's not just all 2001. It might be May 14th, two th- May, mm. right, specifically. So we'll, we'll be, be, it'll be interesting to see what mm. movies come mm. out, huh? huh? Have to listen to another podcast, I guess. And the number one song was All For You, of course, by who else? Janet Jackson. That Janet, man, she's dominating strong in the early 2000s and late 90s. I'll be honest with you. If you asked me about Janet Jackson, I'd be like, oh, the boob girl from the Super Bowl. That's all I know about her. But she is like one of the most influential powerhouses in all of totally. music. And it's one of those things where like uh, she's a uh, highly, I think, just kind of, I don't know what she's been up to, but she seems to fly under the radar. Like she's a crazy, the second most talented Jackson. So that's pretty crazy. But I mean, literally, as as, well, as much as I know, she could be still putting out top songs to this day. I just apparently the Billboard chart maybe captures a very specific sound, and that's what they roll with. But maybe it's like records sold or something, or singles sold. I don't know. I don't know how. Maybe I shouldn't use it. But anyways, so do we want to live in that year? Hmm. I mean, now that we know both what what happens on both podcasts and we know the full list, is this a year that we want to like live in? Maybe. Kind of, but not really. Like, I feel like we should definitely go visit it. It's definitely a time to go visit. Okay. Um, or it's in the running to go visit. So, hmm. Nice. Yeah. It's tough to say for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So, anyways, as we carry on with this fun event, we're going to skip the other sections of our podcast. You want to listen to development details? Uh... And I think that's it. I don't know. Maybe there was something else. But we're going to move on to our first memories of playing Oracle of Ages. So, first memories. I feel like I got this game on one of our weekend trips into town. Tyson, I don't know if you were with us. But after getting groceries, I talked to Mom into getting me a $40 game. So, it's pretty fun. Actually, I guess technically it wasn't Ages. It was Seasons that I had. Uh, I finally played through this game my first time. When I beat every Zelda game in one year, news resolution, so that was fun. Yeah, I don't know. 
I it, it's it, this is one of my first times of playing through the majority of the game without cheats and walks through, uh, and I probably went through like level five or six without using them, and I don't know, it was all right. It's a yeah, thing. Um, I've never played them. I knew they were always a thing, but like, I mean, you had our only copy, and I, I'm not gonna go and delete your file like that's kind of dickish. So I never played it, but it was always one of those ones where I was like, oh, I should always get. Um, the opposite one that you had, because I don't remember it was so far, so long ago, but I remember you found the actual guidebook recently and just seeing all the artwork just like brought me back. That was super cool. Um, yeah, so I, I got a box of Nintendo Powers from a friend and they sat and they sat and they sat and then finally when I went to like set up my basement and I had bookshelf space, I pulled one out. Yeah, sure enough, I had uh, it was great. I had a copy of like the stra- official strategy guide sitting there, so it's kind of neat. Yeah, very cool. And it's one of those things where it's like I miss when they made old strategy guides that were kind of key to beating the game, or you could just be like, "Nah, I'm just gonna do it just myself. I don't need the guide." So um, I feel like, but I feel like Zelda games were always worth the investment to go and buy out the guides because there's a lot to these games, and I, I was following the walkthrough pretty heavily. But it's uh, it it's the availability of these games makes it so easy to play and they're actually like really cheap on the uh um, eShop. so definitely a pickup or at least a download because i know sometimes they even go on sale for like even half price and it's like man this is silly not owning these games for like six bucks yeah very true very very true nice so with that we are going to move along to uh where are we at i, I have like the two notes page up and it's uh it's just great i'm yeah Anyways, on to the story of this lovely game. So after the events of Link to the Past, Link periodically goes to check on the Triforce. During one of his visits, the Triforce calls out to Link as he reaches out for it. He is transported to Labyrinthia. Lab, Labyrinthia. I don't know. And what an excellent story that was. Eh? Eh? Yeah, they kind of just drop you into the world. It's it's interesting. So Yeah. 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 Nice. Okay, fun. So with that, uh, let's get right into the level notes. So again, this might be a faster podcast because there's not a lot of meat and potatoes at the start of the show. And I think these two podcasts together should maybe be like an hour, 10 minute experience type thing. I think that's what we're going for. So on to the level notes. Now, I will note that I have not played this game in a very long time. Tyson, yourself, when was the last time you played this specific game? I have not picked it up in like almost a month. Thirty-two? No, actually, geez, this was way long ago because I played it ages first. So I was done this in the end of April or something like that. So my memory of this game is foggy as all get out. But yeah. Huh. All right. Well, let's see if we can like, yeah, hopefully do all right. I don't know. I, I think I think we should be. Yeah. All right. Hopefully, maybe. I don't know. I don't know at all. Uh, we start out. We wake up and we find Impa being attacked by some moblin. We save her and take her past a Triforce rock to see Nairu. Impa turns out to be possessed by an evil spirit who takes Nairu and we follow. We head to the village, find out that the great Miku tree is being attacked in the past. We travel back in time to save it, her, him, I'm not sure. We visit the Dark Tower to get the shovel and to get into the Mako Tree. As a result, reward for saving the Mako Tree, we are told there are eight essences of time, and we need to get them to stop time disruptions. So it's a pretty exciting start of this pot show, right? Yeah. Maybe? Well, I, I like it. It's a it's neat, kind of, it drops you into this world, and immediately you just kind of 
have to save somebody and then you end up kind of ends up being a double cross right off the bat so it's kind of it's it's neat and then you kind of obviously that sets up the traditional like go to these eight dungeons and grab the blah 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 and save the blah 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 so um it's it's good serviceable i think all the characters are really cute like when they're doing the well, i think the one lady's like singing or whatever all the, like the little animals are like lined up around her so that, that that's kind of that's an awesome like little touch and it just sets the tone of it's gonna be a little bit more serious a little bit more um but but also like it's gonna keep you kind of guessing because they throw you a twist right off the bat you save somebody and they end up messing you up so it's cool very nice so off to chapter one spirits grave the first essence is in the graveyard we find a key and we enter the dungeon i found this one fairly straightforward um i think it's it would kind of hard to get lost in this dungeon the mini boss is a giant poe that rewards you with the power bracelet and now that we can lift push pots we can solve the rest of the dungeon i think the boss in this area is actually genuinely kind of scary his name's Pumpkinhead. you have to attack his body uh and as he disappears you have to throw his head Oh, no, this isn't the one I thought was scary. What's the one, the scary, like, ghost creature? Do you know which one I'm talking about? Mm, I think so. Isn't that in the, like, okay. later ones? I thought that was in, like, I'm not sure. This might be it, though. This might be it. No, this is definitely not the one. This is just a big stupid guy where you, you hit him and then his head falls off and you have to smash the pumpkin. So, right. very unimaginative at all. But, hooray, we saved our first essence. Yay. Chapter 2, The Wind Dungeon. From here, we can collect some heart pieces, a poe clock, make our way to the west forest. Some fairies want to play hide-and-seek in the woods. Like, I don't know how you would solve that. Like, when you're walking around looking for the fairies, it's very confusing because it, they keep rearranging whatever this, like, nine tiles. So you always seem to enter and exit from different screens. And one of them, it's you almost have to, like, go into a screen, come back out, and then go back into it to solve the puzzle. And I don't know if you could solve that without, like, a strategy or something, you know? Yeah, no, this game is puzzle crazy. And they're not seemingly straightforward. Like, this is a, like, like this game is only going to get more complicated and more convoluted. So get your get your strategy guide handy and ready to follow it, because you will get lost. Oh, yeah. And, and then I feel like lots of this game is just random, like, side quests for side quest's sake. So, for example, now we have the Harp of Ages... We have to go to Naru's house to get that. We then travel back in time, make our way through the woods again to get the scent seeds so we can give them to the queen to get bombs. And with the bombs, we can now enter the next dungeon. So it's a very convoluted route, you know, to get into this dungeon. Uh, this dungeon is where we get the rock's feather. Uh, we defeat a bat mini boss. And the second half of the level involves jumping over pits and riding on train cars. The boss was the Head Thwomp, which requires requires us, it's kind of like a side-scrolling section where we have to throw bombs into, like, his head to defeat him. And you have to make sure to throw it when the red face appears. It's, yeah, again, kind of complicated, confusing. Yeah, looks like he's got, like, a little flower petal kind of coming out shooting lava. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it. Yeah, this is definitely. I feel like they made seasons first, and then they made uh, ages. But I could be mistaken, because. Do so you think you think this game was made second? Yes, I think. Okay. Because. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I feel like the other ones a little bit more of the Zelda traditional bread and butter. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
very yeah I, I i i don't know i i think i think the best thing is just power through these level notes and yeah hopefully I try and make it as entertaining as possible so on to chapter three the moonlit grotto we get to do some more awesome side questing uh we have some collectibles we turn the po clock into a le- letter uh i trade that for a stink bag then we are tasked to find some rope and see charts the rope requires us to help a flying bear getting flippers and then finally the rope the sea chart requires us to help ricky this part took me a while so that we could get the ch- tingle chart yeah yeah because obviously who makes sea charts in zelda games tingle obviously duh yes and everybody's favorite character i, I know some people like him i'm kind of like meh on him i don't get it but yeah yeah but now that we have the rope and we have the sea charts we can have a boat built for us we can head off to the sea and we can get shipwrecked we can have all our equipment stolen there's a weird puzzle slash trading sequence to get it back which is actually kind of fun the dungeon on this island isn't too confusing it does require a lot of backtracking and correct sequence making we fight the mini boss and get the item the dungeon is a great example of a maze it is very confusing and has a lot to do with twists and turns so there you go there you go now on to the boss the scary boat boss so it's great it appears behind you and it chases you and it's kind of like actually genuinely scary for an 8-bit game yeah um i i don't really remember this part off the top of my head so we're on the island with the little weird lizard people right there's the uh, sequence uh the dungeon is I think it's like a big weird kind of like lizard head thing you go into. Yeah. And then, yeah, the dungeon is like, it's fairly straightforward. Uh, it, it literally is just a maze. It's, there's lots of open rooms and you have to find the right key. Mm. And then and there's maybe like six different. fight the, the shadowy chick. Yeah. It, it looks like one of the Poe sisters from Forest Temple, but I don't know. The, like her sprite design looks genuinely terrifying with her kind of like creepy fingers. And I remember thinking, I was like, this is actually a pretty excellent scary boss in a like especially an 8-bit game like i don't know if anything else in the game boy stands out in terms of like quote-unquote horror you know yeah no totally and it's one of those things where like i believe she's kind of like acts like pretty fast and you can't just run at run at her or like attack her you have to like shoot her with seeds or something yeah so, yeah it's very interesting it's like, good you, I, you don't I, I like this one it's a it's a it's a it's a thinker boss, but it also is a, it sets a good, sets good uh, atmosphere. It's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, one of the more confusing parts, so on to chapter four, the Skull Dungeon. Uh, we There's this recurring theme that there's a dark tower in the past that the queen of the past is building, but the queen is actually possessed, but she's kind of our ally at times, and she's building this dark tower that affects the future somehow, and I never really understood the gravity or kind of the, the nuance of that section, so... Apparently it's nearing completion, so that's not good. Apparently, yeah, no, it's and it's also kind of setting up uh, implications of uh, past and present in the future. And it's like now when you kind of go to different areas, you are starting to kind of clue into like, oh man, this place was a nice green little village, and now it seems to be overrun with all these like moblins or creatures, and you're like, hmm, or all the houses are burned down. And you're like, ah, oh, I wonder what's going on. <laughs> so it's interesting. Hmm. Very true. So after uh, now we can save a Dodongo. We explore the dark tower and head into the hills before learning Moosh is lost in the woods. We now can choose one of the three animal friends. If you screw up, you get Moosh by default. So naturally, I got Moosh because I don't really understand these weird sequences in these eight-bit games. 
Yeah, I think I ended up, get, ended up getting the Dodongo. I forget his name. Dimitri. Dimitri, yeah. The, yeah. And he, uh, he's, he's nice. He swims, but I don't know. They're, they all kind of seem support, like superfluous. They're not really useful yeah. in the game. It's just kind of another side questy tangent, which kind of gets overwhelming in this game at times. But it's, it's as a kid, I, I appreciated the cool animals that I could have as a friend. It made me want to keep playing to get them too bad I, I never got close it almost seems like they're kind of going for that yoshi appeal right like yoshi became this giant popular character and basically mario wrote him in the first game and that's kind of what they felt like they were going for here you know like let's introduce some new uh characters into the zelda canon yeah and they never pop up again and it's one of those things where i think after oracle or uh, ocarina of time sorry it was his opponent just kind of took off and that was kind of just like it made sense for link to have a horse so i don't really i get why they're trying to add like oh maybe he can have like more characters or but just like uh i feel like every zelda game mm. was just trying to do its own thing and sometimes yeah it's a... it was kind of a miss i don't know yeah that's a good point though i didn't really think is uh opponent being kind of that character too but yeah basically they had opponent so they had yoshi i don't know what they were doing you know I guess they couldn't do a horse. It's hard to do a horse in a Game Boy game. Yeah, totally. Right? Well, I think it's also because it's side-scrolly. Like, what are you going to do with, like, run fast and not always have to park her somewhere? That, but that means that you yeah. have to have a really open world. And the, the... Pit Platforming and pits are a big deal. So you need almost something that can jump and, like, fly. Exactly, so. exactly. So yeah. that was, I think, their workaround. Yeah. So I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head that they wanted to incorporate that, at, like, at some point. But it's just one of those things where I feel like they... Had, knew they had to incorporate like a side character like opponent but they didn't know how to do it so we ended up getting three things so sometimes that's what happens you, you get m- multiple kind of uh ways of doing things in a game where it's kind of like we couldn't decide so here's the three that we best chose and it whatever one was most popular would be a yeah, recurring thing it adds to like it adds to that the rule of three that game boy was known for right like pokemon you got the big three pokemon so i didn't even think about it is just pick three, and then like every time you're like, oh, I'm going to try playing as Ricky. What does this do, right? Because these games are meant to be played again and again and again. But after we find Moosh, uh, you find him by going up, down, up. You get the flute, and you can find the Lost Carpenters, which build you a bridge, which gets you access to Symmetry City. Here we have to restore a nut that gets you the ability to travel back and forth at will. Once the nut is restored, you can enter the fourth dungeon. Uh, this dungeon, as far as I could tell, was fairly straightforward. The mini boss kind of uh, died before I actually figured out the strategy. Uh, he's like a knight in a shield, a knight with a shield, a sword and a shield. Hmm. Uh, there was some great color tiles in this puzzle. So yeah, there was a room, and you walked in, and it turned. It was all like red tiles, and one was blue, and you had to turn them all blue. And I kind of liked it, you know. Yeah. No, it's a. Uh, it's very satisfying, to to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's one of those. Uh, it. it... It makes you have to think, and like just by staring at it, you can usually just generally solve it. But then there's a couple times where you gotta kind of really try a couple patterns, and then like, oh no, I got it now. So it's it's very rewarding. Those those are good. Those are good like little rooms. Very yeah yeah uh, very very simple. Uh, from here though, we also get the switch hook, which is kind of a neat take on the hook shot idea, and we can fight the boss, the eyesore. We have to use the switch hook to. S- the switch hook to swap places with him and deal damage so there you go pretty yeah, fun I, I really like the switch hook they incorporated all over the place even in the um odor world and that's something that was sorely lacking in like a link to the past 
where, uh, or not Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, sorry, um, where you ended up feeling like you get an item and then you just never use it ever again. Where I feel like the switch hook, they were like, they had a perfect workaround for a hook shot, and it was a, it's a really cool like platforming mechanic. So I'm really I'm like whoever thought of that one, good job. Very yeah yeah I agree. The hookshot definitely lacks in the 2D game, so it was nice that they switched it up and you know at least made it entertaining and you know something to talk about. Uh, after chapter four, though, we're on to chapter five, Crown Dungeon. This section was really easy. We head to the Goron City, travel to the past, fight a fort, travel to the past, collect Pegasus seeds, defeat the bomb throwing Moblin in the fort, save a trapped Goron, and get the key. Basically, that gives us access to the Crown Dungeon. It's fairly straightforward, and I really enjoyed playing through this level again. I don't know why I wrote that down, so apparently it was a good time. Um, and I remember just enough to enough of it, like to not spoil anything major. And I got a key, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna explore a bit." But it was like solvable, as opposed to some areas start becoming unsolvable. You know? Yeah, and oh, man, they start ramping up the ability to do like uh, to jump with a feather. Like they, if you use mm-hmm. the Pegasus seeds, you can start running really fast. So it's basically like the Pegasus boots. But you can move anywhere, and they just last for a duration of time. So you, you click it on, and then you can get a little momentum and just clear some like two space gaps. So it, man, the platform in this game starts getting ridiculous on a little D pad. And there's days where I just wish I wish for a, like a full size controller when playing this game. So, Fair. but it's also cool to see Gorons. Like I, like uh, they're they're pretty one well, like they're an yeah. iconic character. So I'm I'm happy that they made it and actually like have kind of. It seems like their design has kind of stuck now after Oracle of uh, Ocarina of Time. Why do I keep messing that up? No idea. They're both O words. Ocarina Oracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, dyslexia. Yeah, nice. And we should all make fun of people with dyslex- dyslexia. So, no. ha 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 ha. <laughs> no. Ha-ha. We get the cane of Sornia <laughs> in this level, <laughs> which makes blocks, and we can use it to solve people's <laughs> No, don't make fun of people with dyslexia. <laughs> you. <laughs> Always make fun of people that are different from you because they're the real monsters. <laughs> well, that's what they teach you. That's what Bo- Link teaches you by bombing the poor Moblin's house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're bad, yeah. obviously. They were bad indeed. The boss of this level was Smog. Uh, he kind of gives you like an om- ominous warning before splitting into different parts and traveling around little blocks. And this is fun because it's a boss, but it's also a puzzle. So every... There's like different shapes and all these little blobs, and the idea is you have to use the cane to make new blocks to merge them all together before you can attack them. And I kind of like that that they have like a puzzle element in the actual boss fight. Uh, more bosses should do that, you know, yeah. instead of just having it being like really simple combat. Yeah, that's it's actually one thing about this uh, the boss battles in this game really make up for the really hard platforming or the hard like puzzle solving elements in some parts because they're really refreshing and they don't really get replicated in other 2d zelda games so it's 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 a shame that they don't use these ideas in more interesting ways but maybe they do i haven't played too many of them so we'll see you haven't played any other handheld games i don't have but i haven't played like any of the 3ds ones so oh yeah your link between worlds is phenomenal uh the phantom hourglass awful i'm not looking forward to playing that game at Mm. all so we'll get there in time it's awful it's awful, it's awful. From here, though, we're on to Chapter 6, Mermaid's Cave. We can now access the Rolling Hills. Uh, 
that sees us doing some flip-flopping between time, playing several mini-games, and we eventually get the old mermaid's key and the mermaid key to unlock this dungeon. This dungeon is kind of neat because you have to complete it in two different time zones, but it's also, like, extremely annoying. So, basically, you just I go into a dungeon, complete it until you get stuck, travel back or forth kind of through time, depending where you're at, and then basically complete it forward, because sometimes, like, knocking down a wall will affect the past, or, uh, you know, getting an item in the future kind of helps you go back to the past to get you a little bit further. The mini-boss was a buyer, and we get access to the mermaid suit, which is like flippers, but we can dive underwater, and we can, like, move forward by tapping the directional button, and on the 3DS, it has that nice joystick. It's really annoying. Yeah, you know? this, this, ugh. <laughs> This level is just like I'm happy to get kind of get like the mermaid's tails for all the underwater bits. Like that's really cool, but <sighs> uh, you know what? Uh, incredibly ambitious. Between smog and the last level, uh, this level just being extremely ambitious with the way they kind of built the dungeon that tra- traveled between times. I think is really cool and neat. Uh, but this game gets too difficult and isn't doesn't have enough con- uh, conveyance to want to play it multiple times. Like, every time I play through these games, I'm like, I'm done, I'm not touching them again. As opposed to, you're supposed to play through them multiple times to be able to, like, swap passwords. Because that's the big thing, is to swap passwords between them. So, like, that would probably be my biggest complaint with this specific game, is it just... I don't know. And, like, this level's a great example. It's it's great, it's ambitious, but why is it so difficult? Yeah. But if it was too easy, people would complain it was too easy. So I I just think Capcom couldn't have won, you know? um, You know, it's one of those things where you're right is extremely ambitious and it's kind of me just nitpicking over difficulty because i'd rather have harder difficulty but it does just kind of end up just kind of being like more guesswork than actual like puzzle solving and that that's what be my only negative thing but it's it's cool and like the boss kind of makes up for this dungeon and the back and forth back and forth back and forth so yeah you, you take the yeah. good with the bad yeah the boss of this level was the Octagon. You shoot him in the face to make him dive underwater. From there, you can attack him with your sword. We can then move on to Chapter 7, Jabu Jabu's Belly. We can now snack, snack, sneak into the castle to rescue Nehru, finish up the trading sequence that gets us the level 2 sword, and we can find the level 2 shield. Saving Nehru gets us access to a tune that allows us to travel freely between time so back and forth we can now travel to the ocean via the underwater slash overwater and through the past and present eventually we find ourselves in the zora's domain so the zora's back we give the king azora a magic potion get a library card and take a book from the future back to the past get a fairy potion that transforms the queen back into her true form she will cure the ocean and this gives access to jabu jabu yeah yeah uh, so I guess the one thing we didn't talk about is because time travel is the big element, we have the uh, Harp of Ages, which allows us to either travel forward or backwards, but it's usually only through specific tiles. So you have to be standing on like a little circle or you find a rock or like a, a portal that takes you back and forth. Um, at this point, we've kind of, we can now jump back and forth freely, which is kind of a neat idea. And it kind of shows that like greater ambition that I was talking about. And the overworld isn't done horribly. Like dungeons, eh. but like the overworld, it's kind of nice. Build flip flop, like flip flop, and like see how time changes and how like different little like pathways and stuff move. So I don't mind that part too much. No, it's it's definitely um, man. This game is so crazy well thought out. Like it just shows how top notch Capcom was at the time, 
it's crazy ambitious especially for a little handheld like for 40 dollars, man you're sometimes getting more than what most console games were giving you at that time and just kind of getting back on to like the zoras I, I love that they incorporated the actual like characters from ocarina of time and it made them almost canon to me like that's kind of where they people started even trying to care about canon because it's like oh hey look gorons and zoras and and Dora Java Java, it's like, man, this is the same world. Like, so it, it was, uh, it was, it's really cool that they tried to incorporate all these things instead of trying to just go the original route. Because sometimes it's kind of nice to relive, um, good moments. Yeah. Well, very true. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And just moving along yeah. in the story. Sorry. I know you had some good points there. I, I'm not going to, like, uh, reiterate that. I apologize. Uh, this, the, this dungeon is kind of interesting. There are three floors. We control the water level on each floor so that it can be flooded or taken out. I beat it without a guide, but I'm not sure how. Basically, I explored everywhere to go. I would find one new thing that would kind of further me on my journey. And then I would have to explore the whole thing all over again. It was awful. We get the level two switch hook fight a fish mini boss before making our way to the boss the switching squid yeah eh, the dungeon these games it just <laughs> why didn't they learn that nobody liked the water level they took all the other good parts <laughs> why did they have to add the water yeah yeah bad. yeah uh the, the boss here the switching squid was kind of neat because he was either blue or red and the only way to hurt him was by his opposite colored beams that he shot at you so you had to use the hook switch shot to kind of switch so that his blue beam would switch him hit his red form and his red beams would hit his blue form kind of neat again uh, the bosses in this game probably the best parts so yeah, totally. yeah and this game is like the best like they're so original and, and more puzzly than the rest of the game like these I, I don't know if it's like the bosses feel more like Link's Awakening puzzles, like simple, straightforward. You can look at it and solve it just intuitively. Whereas I find like the puzzles, puzzle elements of this game are just kind of crazy ambitious, so they can get really confusing. Um, and then the dungeons are just yeah. too confusing for my brain. So yeah, I think they definitely hit the sweet spot. Yeah, very true. On to chapter eight, the ancient tomb. After this dungeon, we get the Zora scale, which gives us access to talk to some pirate which calms the sea we can then make our way to the ancient tomb if you use the guide uh, it's really simple the boss here is rockhead guy he has four stages first you hit his hands back to him then you throw bombs into his hands then you shoot him with your pea shooter and finally you pull his hands back to hit him pretty exciting that's a cool one it's um i'm glad that they're still using the bloody which we call it um the actual uh, power glove. God, why did I blank on that? I, yeah, I, I was like sword, shield. No, power uh, glove. It's kind of cool that they ended up power. using that again because I feel like that's always something that you get early on and then just kind of ends up being like, oh, here's that one rock. <laughs> There's 10 of these in the entire game that you need to use. But Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. They Sometimes they forget that we get items and they're just supposed to be keys to the next area and then they definitely do blank on them often um, as opposed to build them into fun gameplay elements. So that's probably one of the weaker parts of the handheld experience. Uh, but you know what? Like 3D Zelda games do that too. Like the spinner top from Twilight Princess, what's that? Like it has no purpose. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't like increase travel. It just literally there's a couple tracks and it's like, ah, solve this dungeon and get four heart pieces. So good job, you. Yeah. Good yeah. job, you. But no, it's cool that they actually like uh, 
remembered that they had them and, and put them into good use. So you get to switch between them. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. Nice. Finally, we're on to Chapter 9, The Black Tower. After this point, you can go back and complete any side quest you'd like, or you can head to the Meku Tree, get the Meku Seed, and head to the top of the Black Tower. Here, you can find out Ralph is Queen Ambie's ancestor. You can fight Queen Ambie. The first part, you pull her soul away from her. Then you slash the turtle head. Attack the bee and use bombs to stun the spider. That seemed like it was very a quick sentence that I breathed through. But believe me, that was kind of a difficult boss fight. And without a guide, you might not get it, you know? No, it's it's actually, like, no, you definitely need a guide. There's no way that, like, besides trial and error, but it's, man, no. This is... This is an interesting boss fight, but like that she switches all her forms. But if you don't know what you're doing against each form, you'd be so lost. So, Oh, huge. 100%. 100%. Uh, With that, though, essentially the game's over if you only own uh, ages and you're done. Uh, However, you sometimes will get a password. And if you put the password into seasons at this point, you start out kind of a weird thing where the twin Robas and Ganon are brought up and Princess Zelda's brought into the narrative. Uh, So for myself, I had played seasons first and i came to ages secondly so i had a chance where kind of the twin robas they captured zelda they were going to bring back ganon and i actually got to fight the twin robas at this point you have to deflect their little projectiles into one another and it was one of the most frustrating things i ever did i had save states it took me like 20 minutes and i hit them maybe twice and i gave up and i have no idea but you potentially could fight ganon it's kind of yeah there's like um I played Ages and then Seasons, so... uh, Yeah, maybe I did too, actually. Maybe that's what my note says. And I didn't mm. play this part, so maybe I did it in the other one. Anyways, yeah. yeah. It's it's interesting, the end... You like I if you have both, you have to put the password into the other one. Just just do it. Trust me, you'll get the... You'll feel way more satisfied than this ending, because this boss battle just, like... Yeah, she switches forms, but she doesn't feel as... Because all the other bosses were just as epic... It kind of like, kind of goes. Yeah. Oh, now it's over. And you're like, oh, that's kind of anticlimactic. But um, yeah. But if you get the password and put it into seasons, then it gets kind of interesting, because. Mm-hmm. And if you're really smart and you just steal a password offline where somebody has every ring unlocked and like the level two sword right when you start, it's a very enjoyable Extremely. experience. Nice. Uh, so the endings we do have: we save the oracle, set time back on its right track, and hooray. We get the credits, and we get to see what all our friends are up to. To be continued in Oracle of Seasons. Uh, And the canon ending, spoilers, big spoilers, because apparently we spoil stuff, we never say spoilers. So spoilers, we see Link leaving on a boat, which is supposed to be the very same boat from Link's Awakening. Well, I'm glad that they tied that in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Current thoughts... I really like this game. Uh, it does kind of feel fresh to play a Zelda game that I don't know, like, the back of my hand and I haven't memorized. The dungeons are extremely confusing and kind of wreck the experience. Uh, it's not the best handheld Zelda experience, in my, uh, in my, my opinion. It's very ambitious. Uh, Zelda games are kind of at their best when they are ambitious, but Capcom didn't quite have that Nintendo feel and, like, the... I don't know. Like... The, the cuteness, the, charm, the man. There's something, just, there's just the a little charm, bit of like that's, yeah. that Nintendo flavor and that, that draws you in. And like, I, I always like try to think of like, man, Cat Mario is a thing. <laughs> like, that's kind of silly to me. But it's like, on paper, this looks like another just ripoff idea. But in practice, it's an awesome idea. So it's just like, like yeah. just that little dashes of 
personality that they seem to just throw on everything. I feel like some like the boss is kind of like shows up and then is gone for the rest of the game until you basically go and defeat her. So it's like yeah, I yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where like I, I like having a strong boss really makes the game feel more interesting and more tight knit. But a lot of these characters just kind of like, who are you again? When did you show up? Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. It, it again. It's. I, I think, too, that if they would have improved the password system uh, and made, you know, fun cheats. Like, if you put in Zelda, all of a sudden you start the game and you have max health or something, or it's an invincibility, you know, and, like, add those god modes to it, you'd probably feel more inclined to explore and try this level. And I think you would see a lot more of the community kind of getting behind these games, whereas these games are not that, like, talked about very often, other than the fact that they're kind of, like, two games for the price of one. Or one game for the price of two. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the other way of looking at it. Unfortunately, is you kind of without playing the second one, you kind of just kind of get like this half experience. Not even really half. It's like forty nine percent to get that fifty one percent. You really need to play the other game, um, mm-hmm. just because they, yeah. they just strip out the whole character, like the whole like Twin Robas Ganon point, which every Zelda game kind of has up to this point, except for maybe yeah. Majora's yeah. Mask. But that's. That's a whole different ball game. Very true. Um, Very true. Nice. Uh, any uh, anything else in terms of just kind of your current thoughts on this it. title? It's it's good. Like I don't hate this game. The puzzles are like just makes you either have a like a walkthrough in your hand at all times, or it. Yeah. And but you know, there's there's like little flashes of goodness, and I think looking at both these games as a whole, I enjoy them as a whole, but in, in their separate parts, I can't recommend them so okay fair enough fair nice okay yeah i i've never recommended or not recommended anything but yeah i'd probably say like you know, skip these ones yeah unless you're a diehard you know unless you're like zelda a diehard <laughs> zelda yeah nice nice so let's move on to a final cultural significance so we look at kind of uh tr- game tropes marketing tactics or interesting stories and we try and talk about how this game relates to our culture and give other examples and then we try and tie it all back together so this game released separately or games that were released separately that were part of the same series or stories you would be hard-pressed to say that game developers do this for anything short of a cash grab i don't think you get anything out of the experience that is that that is only possible if you had two adventures linked the most common example is pokemon game boys have always had link cable abilities but it wasn't until this pocket-sized adventure that it was fully established you have to buy both versions because you got to catch them all. So right there, they're basically saying, uh, you could play this one game, have a great experience, but if you had a friend and he bought another game, you could trade, or maybe you buy another Game Boy and buy another one, and then you get all the Pokemon, right? That's kind of neat. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, sen- it's just yeah. that they, they laid the seeds for the future. Very, very much the seeds were laid. Overall, the adventures were kind of the same, and every time you played through it, regardless of your choice, so I mean, like, nothing in Pokemon really influenced it, or, like, if you played red and then played blue, it didn't really impact it, which would have been kind of cool and ambitious, but, however, they did not do that. Some games that influence its sequels, however, are Mass Effect. So you can play through Mass Effect 1, load up your file onto Mass Effect 2, and it will be a different experience uh depending kind of how we how we played it so you might play it one way i might play it the other i might have killed a character i might not have saved someone and that will actually kind of change which is kind of neat yeah i definitely like that because it adds impact to your to your uh, 
decisions in a game, which makes you more invested in the characters. So, but then again, there's times where you think you're going to make the right decision, and then you just completely screw it up. <laughs> yeah, it does give you like anxiety about decision making. Uh, the Witcher apparently is also a series that will have that slightly. Assassin's Creed, uh, Ratchet and Clank. If you played through all the games, like slight things have changed. You get slightly different uh, upgrades and weapons that kind of carry out throughout the story. So that's kind of neat. I can't speak a lot because i haven't really touched on those specifically uh the telltale's walking dead series was a big one that came out that really influenced because there's some pretty tough decisions you have to make with the characters that ultimately do impact the story kind of down the road which i think was really cool and that one is something i've actually played so i think that one was kind of yeah telltale really nailed the the feeling of like the impact of your choices like i played the uh, what the heck was it? The it was the big bad wolf one. I forget which one that was called. Oh yeah. But anyways, I played for the first like little bit of it and just kind of like lost interest. But it was, it was it's one of those things where like you go to a certain place or you save somebody or you feel like you go to another place you might have caught the the actual like people in the act of doing something. So it, it that definitely just highlights replayability where I feel like yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, and, th- and these again are, are kind of games that influence its sequels, right? So in- it's not just one game; it like moves on to the next series. Uh, and a good example is Golden Sun. So you could play Golden Sun one, move on to the second one, no problem. But if you took your save from the very first Golden Sun into the second one, the first group of characters when they come into the second game will be fully powered and look just as customized as they were when you played them. So you can actually make the uh, experience a little bit more enriched, a little easier on yourself, this, the second playthrough. So that's awesome. it's kind of neat. Like, that's one of those things where I wish more games did that, where like once a character's pimped out badass and you've already done all the work, they should have that impact in the world. Just fills out the world and makes it feel more like uh, like you've actually made a difference. So cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, uh, and you'd think like new newer games. I know, I know they don't, but like you'd think Metroid. Like when they released all these Metroid games, you should be able to play like Metroid Zero Mission to uh, Samus Returns to like Super Metroid, and like have this weird kind of like uh, carry on or like Mega Man. Those games that are kind of the same story, the same kind of sequence. If you've played one in the past, it should make you a little bit stronger. It shouldn't. Uh, like be unplayable if you haven't but it like should enrich the experience so uh and i kind of looked around at other examples and i think outside of like tabletop games uh oracle of ages might and seasons the oracle games might have been the first video games that actually changed the experience and i think that's pretty culturally significant yeah i tied it all around in a sentence at the end that's pretty exciting nice nice so a final are you buying it and remember, stick around for the password at the end, because it could be anything. Well, Tyson doesn't even know what's going on. Maybe he can't even figure it out. I don't even know. So are you buying it? There was a third game in the Oracle games. Din and Nairu both appear in these games. But what about four? She is often associated with green, creating life, and with the Hyrulean realm. She is often associated with areas where life flourishes like forest. She is also worshipped as the god of the winds, as referred to in The Wind Waker. Goddess of the wind? Windfish? Yes, the windfish from Link's Awakening is one of four's form. So my theory is all the goddesses have three different forms. They have their physical form, which is a divine beast. They have a spiritual form, which is the beautiful goddess's depiction. And they have a human form, which is the girl in this game. Potentially Marin in Link's Awakening. So, eh? Eh? 
maybe maybe that's my maybe that that's my theory today. I like it because it's. I really wish they would have incorporated that third one just because they kept it with the Triforce, the theory of everything has three. Well, as we'll learn if <laughs> as we listen to the next show, because we've like simultaneously recorded this, uh, it was just basically impossible. There was so much going on, and the the developers couldn't have been like, I have no idea how to make three games tie into a password. Like, it's you can't do it. Yeah, no, it's hence why they didn't. But yes, uh. And I have no idea why I have this weird, I try and make Din, Nairu, and, like, four, like, I try, I've been, like, trying to branch them out into other series for a while. Like, wasn't I also saying that Palantuna was four at some point? Uh, I think so. I think so. You've had a few theories revolving around the uh, Hyrule goddesses, but I think that's a, that's an area of, that's super underexplored in the Zelda universe. Like, Breath of the Wild kind of seemed to really be a revisit to the, to the first Zelda game, so who knows? Maybe as they kind of keep progressing, maybe under this new world that they're building, hopefully they can start incorporating those a bit more, and we can start seeing where the three of them originate. Maybe they can try to shed a little like link across the across the world, because you never know. You, you never know. Like uh, they they like to do that. So nice, nice. So Dyson might be buying it and speaking of zelda i don't know if we have we played a zelda game since Link's awakening i know we did kind of like zelda one and two again for show 50 but it was just kind of more of like the cultural significance uh wayback machine aspect of them so this is almost our first zelda game we've played in like a year i feel like we should play more zelda games because i think they're popular especially in like podcast realms yeah, well, you know it's there man and there's a bunch out there i feel like the handhelds are a severely underlooked area of play hmm. so i yeah Speaking of handhelds, I feel like maybe we're doing a handheld takeover. We got the Oracle games, we did Pokemon, and I've been talking about Mario 64 for a very long time, but maybe there's some Mario games on a handheld somewhere that we could play. Uh, keep in mind, we'll, we'll keep you in touch, we'll talk after the show, but just a little hint into the zeitgeist, if you are a Podtendo fan, you like following along, maybe we're doing a pot, uh, handheld takeover this year for the rest of the season, you know? Maybe indeed. But... A final before we leave and say bye. I think that kind of is a nice little bow on the series. I've got my end password, which is our challenge for today. Now, I realize the show is probably like, I don't know, like 20 minutes longer than I thought it'd be. But that's okay. Definitely all right. So the final end password. And if you compare it to the end password in the next show, send it to us. If you can figure out the puzzle, and we'll give you a prize. No one, no one, no one does these. But I thought it was kind of neat. So today's password is H-N-E-L-R space... T-S-N. So write that down. Listen to other podcasts. Write that down. And see if you can figure out this word jumble for yourself. Uh, Until next time, or unless you're listening to us right away, because we have two podcasts released today. Uh, See you in a little bit. See you in a little bit. See you in a little bit. Bye, guys.